Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices radio talk show, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, with two Reasonable Voices as guests today, Nicholas Kitchen, a solo violinist, chamber musician, teacher, video artist, technology innovator, and arts administrator, has become the new artistic director of the Heifetz International Music Institute as of the day of this recording, Monday, October 1st. 2018. Delighted, Nicholas, to have you on the show, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And also, Benjamin K. Rowe, who is the president and CEO of the Heifetz International Music Institute, who brings to us and the Institute Nick Kitchen as its new artistic director. So, both are joining us today after the Mischief and Magic Weekend in Stanton, Virginia. So let's start with that, Ben, and welcome to you as well. Welcome back to The Reasonable Voices. So, Ben, how was uh, Mischief and Magic Weekend for you guys over there in Stanton? Well, I have to tell you, Marcello, I am more than reasonably happy with its (laughs) outcome. Uh, We had something like 15,000 people in our town with a population of 25,000. So you can imagine uh, what downtown Stanton looked like with all the downtown blocked off and and, uh, streams of people wearing their favorite Harry Potter outfit, whether it was one of the four houses of Gryffindor Mm. or Slytherin or Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw or people dressed up as... uh, Dumbledore or Minerva or or any anyone's favorite character. We even spotted Voldemort having a sandwich. So <laughs> it was uh, it was it was quite quite a weekend that we had here, and uh, just a whole lot of fun and a great kind of civic outpouring uh, with the city and merchants and even the schools getting in and uh, just about every downtown business and cultural organization taking part. You know, also Ben, I I'm reminded I'm. At least, if one's to believe the uh, uh, network um, weather reports, and as Shakespeare would say, this comes hard upon. You had quite a bit of rain during the whole Florence epic. Yes, uh, we did. And so, did that? Did the weather break in time for you guys, or did you just handle it anyway? 
Oh, I think that, that somehow that the, the potions and the incantations worked because <laughs> the skies cleared on Friday morning, uh, just as the first visitors were coming into town. And uh, we had glorious weather all weekend, some of the best weather that we've had uh, in a month or so. So it it, uh, it all augured well. And again, I think that there were some well, well-cast spells. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> all right. Back to Nicholas Kitchen. May I call you Nick? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, you have been associated with the Heifetz Institute before becoming its AD, yes? That's correct, okay. yeah. And, uh, I, uh, for the last two years before that, our, I have and our quartet, the Borromeo Quartet, uh-huh. um, has been quite deeply involved in the Excellent. So for two summers you've been teaching at the Heifetz, yes? That's right. Okay. Yeah, I guess it All would right. have been. I have to give a slight correction here because Nick first came to the Institute in 2016, uh, which is three summers ago for us. And uh, we were so delighted with, uh, for for the first summer, it was Nick and his wife, Isun Kim, who is a cellist in the Borromeo Quartet. Uh, And they both came uh, to teach for a couple of weeks. And uh, we, we saw the incredible energy and presence that they brought that we invited them to bring the entire quartet with them for the next summer, and after that summer in 2017, we invited them to become our quartet in residence. And this summer was their first of three consecutive years where they will be our uh, summertime ensemble in residence at the Institute. Marvelous, thank you for that, because I had the impression he'd been there longer too. How how time flies, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, I'm sure as as obvious a choice as uh, as uh, Nicholas uh, Kitchen sounds to me from what I've read about him. But uh, any search for such a talent requires a great deal of uh, time and effort and coordination and conferences and whatever. Uh, Give us a hint of some of the things that you, as the president, CEO of of the Heifetz Institute, what you went through, the time involved, to find uh, the perfect match. Well, you could not be more right, Marcello, which is to say that any process like that, any process like we've just gone through, is one that is thoroughgoing and complicated for the simple reason that in 22 summers, we've never had to do an artistic director search because we had a founder and artistic director Mm. in the person of Daniel Heifetz. So that meant taking a step back and then deciding and doing some of those bleedingly obvious things which we've never done before, like create a job description to really discuss what our needs were to examine the whole structure of the organization, and then to convene a group of of really high-powered individuals on our board who gave up a lot of time uh, and gave a lot of serious thought and effort to thinking about whom our next artistic director should be. Mm. So we formed a committee uh, more than a year ago where we started talking about this when when Daniel indicated to me as members of the board that he was thinking of moving into an emeritus role mm-hmm. after 20 plus years who could blame him. And then we sort of began a whole process of hammering out a description and then doing some casual conversations and posting a search and then interviewing lots of candidates, going through lots of rounds. Uh, I'm very 
pleased to say, Marcello, that we have some fantastic faculty. Some of the best pedagogues in string instruction in the country happen to come every summer to the Hyvis Institute. So on the one hand, it was an embarrassment of riches. On the other hand, it meant that we knew that we were going to be getting a top, top shelf candidate, regardless of whom um, we picked, and we wound up with the best one. Excellent. How do you feel about that, Nick? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I, uh, I, you know, what, what's very nice is that I really enjoyed the whole search process, uh, first of all, because, um, uh, well, as Ben has mentioned, I, I think it's very reassuring that there are such thoughtful and devoted and intelligent people who are making up the board of uh, the Heifetz Institute, and there's just... Um, you know, it was it was great to 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 delve into what what really was the future of the institute and what needed to be preserved and what could be thought about next. So it was a very it would have been an enjoyable process, whatever the outcome was, mm. because there was something very exciting about what was behind it. And of course, I'm I'm completely thrilled and very flattered that um, uh, that all the things that I could bring to it were really the things that uh, the search committee and, and uh, the Hyvitt Festival in general felt like uh, would lead the next year as well. What does it feel like, um, uh, Nick, you know, when when one gets a, a promotion, uh, an advancement, one's career is moving upward, etc. and forward, uh, that's altogether uh, a wonderful experience and a challenging one. But when one follows such a um, icon uh, like Daniel Heifetz, um, how, is it? Are you ever daunted that, that? Are you still slapping yourself to see? Is it real or or, or what? Well, you know, it's. Um, I think what's really exciting about what Daniel did was that he he was in the position of being uh, a real virtuoso performer. Uh, and he decided that there was something that had to... He identified that there was something behind what a really great performer does mm. that is a much more human connection. It's something that is a very deep kind of communication. And he, in a sense, a little bit grabbed the, the bull by the horns and said that we, when we teach young people, that has to be behind that teaching, not just teaching them to run up and down the instrument as, mm. as well as they could. And you see, I think there's something so powerful about that and yes. so exciting about that. And it has so many dimensions um, that, uh, that, that fortunately, that, that, that's something that's very... I identify with those goals very deeply. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I, I, I know that the efforts that I will make will have that connection with that very beautiful vision. Because mm -hmm. I, I do feel connected in that with Daniel. Of course, you know, it, it is daunting. He's, a, he's an amazing uh, personality and an amazing, uh, you know, he has his own way and his own um, uh, style of everything that mm -hmm. he did connected with the Institute. And, and obviously, I'll be a very different person. But it does make me feel good to feel that uh, there really is a core uh, that is so much in sync 
uh, between what I think is important about his vision mm-hmm. and the way I can imagine fulfilling that. Fantastic. We we probably will not be able to finish this the answer to this next question before we need to take a break, but we can always pick it up on the other side. But I want to ask, tell us a bit more about, I mean, you are first violinist, leader of, uh, remind us of the quartet, and you, um, you and your group uh, play festivals all around the world. Uh, yep. it, it seems that the uh, there's a, a global classical music mission that you share with uh, a Heifetz Institute even before you became its artistic director. It's a perfect fit. Uh, tell us something about um, about your career prior to Heifetz and with the quartet and your uh, world-class festivals. Well, it's, um, you know, uh, it, it is uh, a great foundation uh, that um, my, I first came to the Institute uh, in teaching violin you know, we, we all have only two hands, and, and when you're a violinist, one is on the fingerboard and one is on the bow. Yes. And um, that's that's what you're responsible for, is what you can do with that. The amazing thing about the way music works is you have to work very hard yourself, but it all undergoes this transformation when you start connecting with other people. Mm. And, and I mean, I'm just talking about the basis of kind of the way music works, mm-hmm. but actually the way that happens, we have we have concertos with orchestras, we have the interactions with symphonies, we have opera singers in the orchestra, we have, uh, you know, each member of the string quartet, every one of these things, and all of them really are part of this kind of electricity that's not just happening on the stage, mm-hmm. but is happening between everyone that's in that room. So um, it's it's interesting because I you know, started by teaching violin and of course this this vision of having the Borromeo Quartet be the quartet in residence uh, became a reality then the next year and so it's very exciting for me to think that as I uh, interact with the institute uh, as artistic director I'm building on the foundation of what just couldn't be a richer set of connections with my colleagues who are in the quartet, will continue to be quartet in residence at the Institute, and we will really be, um, there'll be no removal, no, no, no level of removal for us uh, between the teaching experience, the performing experience, the planning experience, the talking experience, the thinking with the students experience, all of that which is just aiming to make that exchange that happens when music is created uh, the quite magical experience that it can be. Yes. And, you know, I, I understand what you're talking about. I've directed many operas and um, uh, musical theater, and I love it when I get to work with singers and convince them it's, it's not just, as you were saying, it's not just your individual talent it's the it's how, right. how it is shared and blends with the the talents in the room or on the stage or in the concert but it's also uh, what your emotional dramatic theatrical if you will um, uh, ability that you bring to it that involves the audience that moves the audience and I, I think right. that you know um, I, I couldn't agree with you more I guess is my 
short little two cents on that. Why don't we uh, take a break now, and um, we will be back shortly with our guest today, the new artistic director of the Heifetz International Music Institute, Nicholas Kitchen, and with the president and CEO of the Heifetz International Music Institute, our good friend and returning guest, Benjamin K. Rose. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program. My guests today, the Reasonable Voices of Nicholas Kitchen and Benjamin K. Rowe. Nicholas Kitchen is the new artistic director of the Heifetz International Music Institute, and our old friend Benjamin K. Rowe remains its president and CEO. So we've had quite a conversation. We found out a great deal about Nick and what he's done with the festivals around the world, performing as first violinist. Let me, if we could, Nick, going forward, and and Ben, feel free to jump in on this, but going forward, what are your immediate in, intentions, Nick? Uh, what and and what's the big picture, the long range goals and hopes and dreams? for the continued impact that the Heifetz Institute has made, and I'm sure you want to continue to make. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, I mean, when it's put really simply, we just want to make sure that over these years of the Heifetz Institute that uh, what has been happening continues to happen, which is that we, we support the development of vital, creative, exciting, generous, skilled musicians Mm. that will really warm people's hearts for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I think the Institute is about. And and it's about, it's about uh, doing the, the technical training that gives them what they need to, to be wonderful performers in their quality, but also gives them 
a deeper background that lets them imagine uh, the richness with which they can give to the audience uh, that special kind of musical, the magical experience of exchanging music together. Mm. And that's, that's the simple goal. Now, a lot of a lot of things go into that. You know, Daniel invented something of a communications training, which is totally unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no festival that does anything like that. And uh, it allows the young artists to learn uh, elements of, of acting and, and motion and public speaking and uh, to just conceive, uh, to, to see the m- multiple dimensions by which communication really comes alive yes and that's going to continue in exactly that way it's a very amazing achievement to have done that and amazing resource for these young artists Mm -hmm. i think daniel petro has become a leader of that communications training and that's very special because his vision i think can even strengthen the way, uh, the cohesion of what happens for these students within mm. the six weeks that they're at the Institute. And fortunately, there's among all of us in the faculty, there's this great feeling that we can find many, many ways to help each other even more actively in the way we inspire the students. And we're experimenting with things, uh, how we can have more sessions that bring instrumental faculty and communications faculty together in an arena where the students see all of us interacting together. Yes. Um, uh, there's, that's a lot of tiny details to how all that's going to happen, but I think everyone has the will for that to happen, and that's pretty thrilling. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are incredibly imaginative, generous, knowledgeable teachers of their craft, of the string instruments. Mm-hmm. And even within the communication faculty, there are great virtuosos that are actually the teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what that means is we can really, we can really, really create a thrilling environment yes. to discover all that an artist can bring out of themselves and, and give to the people that they interact with and share with. Those, those things uh, that, that make their performances really, really meaningful. Mm. You know, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I'm, I'm f- very familiar with the mission of the uh, Heifetz uh, Institute because of my conversations with Daniel Heifetz and, of course, with Ben Rowe. Because, as I mentioned, I, I once worked with the, a number of uh, singers with Philadelphia Opera who, who did master classes for their students to learn acting while singing from me. And I've always felt, the first time that Ben mentioned this to me and then later Daniel, that this is such a huge part of your training for the, for the students. I thought, yes, you know, but I never really thought about how one would do that with instrumentalists, forgive me. I, because I've been so used to, you know, telling people you can't just make a pretty sound, which I guess it's, right. I guess that's what you say too. Now that I think, but well, uh, yes, tell me, get me start. out of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. 
Because I, uh, because it, you can't just make a pretty sound. You, there's got to be something that gets That's into right. the gut and in the brain and heart and soul of the audience and with your co-performance. And I know we've been saying that, but give me some i give me some idea what's a, what's a typical class what is this renowned faculty uh how do they make that happen well it, it's hard for me to go yeah too much into detail i've witnessed some of the the communications fat, uh, classes i participated in them myself and mm-hmm. you know some of them are just things like acting exercises mm-hmm. uh things that uh, that are very similar to what someone might do if they were if they were training as an actor or they were training um, in that that perspective, uh, what I think is so interesting is to connect um, is to bridge that that set of principles to uh, what happens when the students are actually with their instrument in their hand and really bringing to life. You know, we basically play composed music. We're not improvising on stage for, mm-hmm. for the tradition that we represent, but. It, it's very meaningful that someone like Beethoven, um, he would tell people, I am a poet in tones. Mm. And he would sometimes even, even in a very delicate personal situation, instead of speaking to uh, his friend, sometimes when they were grieving or something of this nature, he literally said, now I will speak to you in music. Mm. And he would sit at the piano and he would play to them his message or his feelings or his, his what he could offer them in in his person and his connection to them um it literally happened schubert did the same thing and and our music really does that it really connects people um and it has lots of fun and it has virtuosity and it has lots of poise and all kinds of fun things that are happening on the stage but somewhere in there, it is able to kind of say or affirm uh, these feelings that we all share. And, mm. you know, the communication training will take, you know, maybe a more verbal or a more physical approach to this idea that they we can connect to our inner self through all these means. And that creates this environment where I think the teachers and, and the all of us that are helping them make sure to play in tune and play the right bowling and be together and all these good things that are necessary, absolutely necessary. We uh, are also being asked and inspired to to really ask it to to speak out, to reach out mm-hmm. to the people that are listening, and that's just. Um, the, the, I, I wish my answer was more specific, but I think it's a little bit of the thing where if you put all these potential energies in one place together uh, at the uh, in Stanton, Virginia, for six weeks in the summer, what happens is all those energies bump into each other and uh, amplify each other and and move each other, and all those kind of things happen in a way that. Uh, all of us come away changed from the experience. Mm. And I think for many of the students, it's a gigantic inspiration and a, and, and a jolt of energy and realization about what they actually can do with the music that they play so well. Yes. 
And I have to say, uh, Nick, I think your answer was quite specific and a marvelous education. I didn't know that, uh, I'm not surprised that Beethoven did things like that, but I, I must admit I'd never heard that story. And yeah. that um, alone was moving. But the, but how you ended with, that's what the students get out of it, as you know, what they give to the audiences. And when they realize what they're giving to the audience, they themselves are enlarged. Um, that's right. Yeah. How, you know, you, you have a bit of a history in the Commonwealth of Virginia um, with music festivals. Uh, tell us about, for instance, the Garth Newell uh, Festival in Hot yes. Springs. Yeah. Well, you know, my, um, my parents are both musicians, and uh, uh, they are both have backgrounds in other things as well. Mm. My, mm. my mother did um, textual emendation connected to Shakespeare and Keats and was very involved in language uh, things, but she's always been a violinist, mm. and she founded a school called the Duke University String School. This is in North Carolina, oh. and connected with uh, Duke University. Mm-hmm. And my father is a, a mathematician and has always um, taught math at Duke University. Uh, but he, since he was nine years old, he was all a basically professional pianist and organist. Oh, wow. And yeah, even, even playing organ at that early age. And he has run a music program at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Durham, North Carolina for, uh, well, over 50 years now, I think. And uh, they formed a chamber orchestra and a concert series. What I'm, what I'm bringing up is I was certainly around a lot of these things. And when I was very, very little, there was a cellist who was involved at Duke University named Luca DiCecco. Mm-hmm. And my father played many, many cello piano recitals with Luca. Mm. The the Dicecos were only in Durham when I was a very, very little kid. Mm -hmm. But soon after that, they founded the the festival at Garth Newell. And uh, Mm -hmm. that was was really way back. I think that was 1970 or 71 or 72. I don't know quite the exact year. Mm -hmm. But my father came up to perform at that festival way back then. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Garth Newell, but it's this beautiful manor house and this incredible property, you know, looking out over this small valley. It's, it's really amazing. Yes. And I visited that when I think I was six years old. Yeah. I thought it was the largest house that had ever been built. <laughs> and then I heard all the concerts there. And then, of course, in subsequent years, you know, many, many years later, uh, the Borromeo Quartet has come back quite a few times to perform at Garth Newell. Mm. And uh, we know them very well and played all the Bartok Quartets there and we played all, all, all kinds of things. So, yes, there's uh, it's a different side of things, but uh, there's a very wonderful history that, that connects me to this place. Wow, that is exceptional. Thank you. Wow. Uh, when I asked the question, I didn't know where you would take us, but that was beautiful. And so happy to know, and I'm sure everyone will appreciate it. Uh, ben, you still with us? I certainly am. Okay. I want to, I want to let Sorry, you I've get... Sorry, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ben wanted for us to introduce you to uh, 
uh, the community at large, and I'm happy to do that. But I, I do want to ask Ben some uh, pragmatic things, if I may. You know, like what uh, okay. what's coming up, uh, what's on the calendar, how can we get tickets? And also, by the way, which I the point I haven't made, although I hope it's known, the Heifetz International Music Institute has the word international in it because your faculty and your students come from all over the world. Ben, you want to jump on that? That is correct. And indeed, indeed, it is an international music institute. And if you come here in Stanton in the summertime when our program is in session, which is from the end of June until the middle of August, we truly are an international village. We had students last year from 23 states and 16 different countries represented. So it really has quite uh, an international feel to it here uh, in Stanton. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that, actually, is one of the most important things coming up for us is that our application season will open later this month when we start getting inquiries from students wanting to come here for next summer. We also do, uh, Marcello, a lot of touring, yes. and we'll be beginning our Hypens on Tour season later this month. In fact, uh, with Nick uh, at the helm, we'll be playing at a house concert in Boston to kick things off not too long from now on the 19th of October. Then we'll be playing a fall colors tour, as we call it, in New England uh, mm. during the fall foliage in uh, New Hampshire and in Maine, and with a final concert in Philadelphia as part of our first tour. Wow, that's impressive. And, and what about the holidays? What's coming up? In the holidays, we do something that we started four years ago, I think, called the Heifetz Holiday Homecoming. And it's a chance for us to bring some of our outstanding students that were here in the summertime to get a little chance to experience Stanton in December. Mm -hmm. So we do holiday concerts here of December. We're going to be playing Monday the 10th in Stanton, Tuesday the 11th in Charlottesville at the wonderful new auditorium St. Anne's Belfield School. Mm -hmm. And then we'll head up to uh, D.C. for some concerts there and conclude uh, with a performance in Baltimore. So it's one of those tours that we always look forward to. Nick will be joining us for a few of the concerts during that tour, and we're quite excited about it. And you're, it's not new anymore, but let's remind everyone what, where your your home base is for performances these days and the fact that it's a university now. That's right. It's Mary Baldwin University. It changed its name in 2017, and this year... Uh, they have the largest freshman class in our history, something like 440 students who are on campus now. So it's really added quite a dynamic uh, level of energy here to Stanton, almost as much as Mischief and Magic did. Mm, I gotcha. Uh, listen, so we must go, but we need, uh, you know, we need websites, we need telephone numbers where uh, students who wish to apply or people who wish to buy tickets. Um, give us a ch uh, that information, Ben. Sure. Uh, always happy to do that, Marcello. It's heifetzinstitute.org. That's H-E-I-F-E-T-Z institute.org. And if you visit our, our website, you can see the donate page, you can see the tickets page, you can see the information about our tours, and the apply now page if you happen to be a string player, that is to say violin, viola, cello, double bass. Uh, we'll be looking for you. What I love is knowing that there are people, young people in particular, who are getting the kind of music and communication teaching and training that you provide at the Heifetz International Music Institute. 
Take us out, Artistic Director Nicholas Kitchen. Uh, what do you want us to take away from this uh, interview? What do you want the people listening to this to know about you and, and the future? Well, you know, I, I know that, that, that uh, people listening to this, many are in, in that really astounding kind of region of the Shenandoah Valley. I mean, when you when you drive down there, it is a little bit like you're in a kind of paradise. Mm. And, you know, I, I mentioned I had a had artistic experiences there when I was six years old. They were wonderful, but it's pretty amazing to join in again with this absolutely bustling institute, which is functioning at absolutely the highest level, not just in the virtuosity of the players and the teachers, but in the kind of beauty of what it's aiming to bring about. And I think for people that are there, I just know that, I just hope you come to the concerts. Yes. You know, it's, it's really, that's where all of it comes out, and, and uh, that's what it's all about. And we have a great energy when, when that happens. We already have, I should be careful what I say, there are too many of them are already sold out, <laughs> and that's wonderful. So, uh, but but uh, we'll just create another one. Exactly. So, uh, but that's what it's all about, and we, we really hope you'll join us. And I'll throw in that uh, it's not a far drive uh, from Richmond, and you can be you can also get to from D.C. Uh, relatively easily. So keep in mind, great art is worth the trip, especially at the Heifetz International Music Institute. We're going to have to say goodbye now. It's been an amazing conversation. I certainly appreciate catching up with Benjamin K. Rowe anytime. And welcome Nicholas Kitchen uh, as the new artistic director of the Heifetz International Music Institute. We all are very happy to, to know Ben and to welcome you. How's that? Thank you. Very good. Thank ben, you. All right. <laughs> Bye now and all the best. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Australian director Bruce Beresford has been a well-respected director since his 1980 breakthrough film, Break a Morant. With such Oscar-recognized films as Driving Miss Daisy and Tender Mercies to his credit, it should come as no surprise that he is a master of manipulated emotion. Mao's Last Dancer tells the true story of Li Kunsen, plucked as a child from farm life in rural China to become a state-trained ballet dancer. Li was a part of Mao Zedong's plan to develop great athletes and artists who could demonstrate to the world the triumph of Chinese communism. He is ultimately chosen by the state to travel to America, representing the superiority of his homeland. Lee interns with the Houston Ballet Theater and becomes a star. When he decides to defect and remain in America, a potentially embarrassing major international incident looms. It's tempting to write off this film as jingoist propaganda and a manipulative tearjerker, but it is also a story well told, with great beauty in the dance and a basis in historical fact. Yes, Mao's Last Dancer is touching and magnificent entertainment. Tears do flow, and that's just fine with us. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Knowing where we are and who are the real Halloween monsters. 
knowing why we're addicted to horror movies, hung up on how others enjoy sex, defining each other by our bank accounts, and loving easily accessible guns, our 2018 October surprise wasn't. Bombs sent to those with whom we disagree, bonus smirks from bankers possessing stay-out-of-jail cards, ten years after Bush-Cheney's corporatism co-created a Great Recession for 95% of Americans, and Pittsburgh gun violence, reminiscent of Charleston, reaffirming our need for self-reflection, and more love-thy-neighbor-as-thyself action. Those now seemingly possessed by a heightened, more easily radicalized sense of powerlessness, empowered by residue of foreign hacked election stealing, aided and abetted by social media platforms as bottom-line focused as international financial institutions masquerading as American, are now addicted anew by the highest-ranking self-proclaimed nationalist in America. So, no, Tom Bossett, you're wrong. Gun violence is not a political issue, but a life-threatening one. And if we can't purge ourselves of open carry, cleanse our politics of trumped idolaters, and purify America of the dirty money masking demons as heroes, then we must at least become champions of electing to diminish the rising anti-American fear of Jewish Americans, anti-diversity hate of African Americans, and anti-cultural differences still branding Native, Asian, and Latino Americans with the hypocrisy of anti-female Republicans. The Trump family didn't originate avarice any more than their clan leader originated what he needs Americans to become to impregnate America with his evil. Until we internalize it's not banks but bankers protecting unempathetic boards, not just the self-deluded propelling tragedy with Second Amendment misinterpretations, interrupting life with murderous gun violence, and intimidating bombs, and it's not just Donald Trump who is responsible. All are accountable, not just marionettes droning nonsensical conservative talking points about we need safe borders, with little concern for those living within our borders enduring limited means. And let's not emulate Mike Pence taking the fifth on the sidelines, not become supreme clones of self-righteous supremacists, nor congressional Republicans thinking themselves gods, controlling an administration of cuspidors, spitting back onto the innocent the vile rhetoric of fear and hate-mongers. Whether uncompromising left or radicalized alt-right, both have elevated Donald Trump. The former, as a demagogue, we can beat like a misogynistic piñata filled with party bigotry, and the latter, a Johnny-come-lately Ku Klux Klan second coming, profiting off Americans, on both sides, of centered civil debate. Twitter Trump, despite teleprompter performances, is not remotely worthy of being hailed as the American dream come true, for he cares no more for those who elected him than he does for his fantasized caravan adaptation. Every earthly hue has long believed in an America peopled by a saving grace that refugees, migrants, and immigrants have sought since the pilgrims invaded the home of Native Americans. It's about time to admit where we are and that we the people got us here. While there is little doubt that those among us who are, whether willfully or helplessly, more susceptible to a throwback to Europe's 1930s despot rallies, 
Our real Halloween monsters are pawn manipulators, costuming inhumane themes to justify righteousness as ordained exclusively for Caucasians. Like Mitch McConnell's Kroger constituent proclaiming, whites don't kill whites, unless it seems they are Jewish. The deadliest attack on Jewish Americans in the history of a united America aligned in globalism 73 years ago to defeat the fear-fueled hate that still, in 2018, emboldens violent racists, self-aggrandizing bankers, and villainous politicians. On Tuesday, 6 November 2018, we can choose to elect the America we insist we are, a melting pot magnet simmering with justice for all, perhaps embracing more Emma Lazarus than Rahim Salam. Beware, however, our midterm results may ignite more violence. How we respond to it will determine where America is and from where our monsters have come. On 12 September 2001, I drove to Gettysburg, not knowing why I was drawn to do so. Since Donald Trump's escalated dissension to ascend to the presidency, I've realized the purpose of my journey. At arguably the greatest violent expression of American division, there was cathartic motivation for unity and justice for all. Listen, God knows where we are and who Trump is. It's time for America to embrace this wisdom, knowing it must begin with the reasonable and forgiving among us exposing the money funding fear and hate into domestic terrorism. Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.